Jireh or Jehovah Rapha and El Shaddai of all these different names that are used to explain how God is working. And I think it is interesting. I am the Lord your God. I am God in my covenant keeping loving kindness and justice. And I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of bondage. They're reminded that God has delivered them. When God began giving the commandments, he reminded them first of who he is. Through the use of both names, Yahweh and Elohim, he reminded the people of both elements of his nature. He is a covenant keeper filled with loving kindness. He's also just. Pastor Daniel is going to show us in today's message how our covenant keeping, kind and just God, is the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He's the one who brings you out of bondage too. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 5 as he continues his message called The Big Ten. When people know that you're praying for them, then they're expecting God. They're expecting to see God do something. And when God starts to do something, then all of a sudden they're like, wow, maybe Jesus is real. And so Moses has this mediatorial function. It's a picture of Jesus, and it's also something that you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to represent the Lord to the world, and we're supposed to represent the world to the Lord in prayer by asking God's grace and forgiveness, asking him to reveal Jesus in the people that we know who don't yet know the Lord and all these different things. So all that's the setup, and then it says, he said at the end of verse 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So this begins this big 10 refresh, where now we get, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first commandment, that the Lord is God. Your reference back in the book of Exodus is Exodus chapter 20, verses two and three. I am the Lord your God. Now, I always make this point, but I'm going to do it again because it's important. I want you to notice the words, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English translation, right? That means God's personal name. People would say today it was, it's the name Yahweh. It's this tetragrammaton. It's his four letters. In the Hebrew, it's Yud, Hey, Vav, and hey, Y-W-H-W, or some of you use V, depending on if you use the old King James Bible, depending on how you get it. You get these four letters. It's God's personal name. It's the way God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. The I am who I am. Some people, and it came down kind of historically that this word we say would be Yahweh today. Historically, it was Jehovah, which what they did is they took the tetragrammaton, the yod and the vuf and they put the vowels for the word Adonai, which is the word master or Lord, and they put that over the yod heh That's how you get Jehovah, right? And so it's God's covenant name. I am the Lord, your God, which would be the word Elohim, which is, if you remember the creation account, the word that is used is in the beginning, God or Elohim, 
And rabbis make a big point about the different names, whether you use the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, this Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or use the word God, which would be the word Elohim, because they would make the case that God is God in his acts of justice, like in creation. Creation is an orderly account. It's a just account. So the word God or Elohim points to God in his justice, and Yahweh points to God in his covenant-keeping, loving kindness and mercy. Now, I share that with you because as you're reading your Bibles, and I want, for some of you, you're new to the Bible and you want to know those details, and some of you have been walking with the Lord for a really long time, and you may have never noticed or thought about the differences. Why in this story is God the word that's used, Elohim in the Hebrew, and why in this story is Yahweh, or capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, used. And the rabbis, there's some stuff in there if you really start to unpack it, because what you realize is that sometimes God acts in in a more just way, a more authoritarian way, and other times God acts in a more merciful and loving way, and those names end up becoming different expressions or different hues or tints in the personality of God. Now, not saying that there's multiple gods, but it is interesting that there's a multiple names. In some ways, if you think about it from your own life, I remember when I was growing up, I knew that I was in trouble if I heard Daniel Thomas Fusco. Right? You get the first, middle, and last name, you stopped and you stood at attention because you know you were busted, right? But then if I heard, oh, my sweet Danny, no, you're not allowed to call me Danny. Only my grandma is. And if you bring me a cannoli, you can call me Danny. Other than that, you know? But as I heard, oh, my Danny, then I know everything's good. I'm getting ice cream. Grandma's here. We're doing good, right? And so there's something in a name, right? And so it is interesting that throughout the Bible, you have these different names that are attributed to God, and then oftentimes something will happen, and then God will get a special name, or this is, you know, Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Rapha, and El Shaddai, of all these different names that are used to explain how God is working. And I think it is interesting, I am the Lord your God. I am God in my covenant-keeping, loving-kindness, and justice. And I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of bondage. They're reminded that God has delivered them. Now, I think for you and I, it's important for us to remember, if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that God has delivered each one of us in Christ from our own personal Egypt, our own personal house of bondage. All of us have been enslaved at some point in our life. Right, And when you come to Jesus, Jesus sets you free from the things that you have been enslaved to. And for some of us, there's drugs and alcohol background. There's bitterness and anger background. There's a lot of hurt and brokenness. There's all sorts of things that we have. But the ultimate deliverance that God has given us is from this sin nature. I think it's important to remind us of that, that the Bible doesn't teach that God delivers us from committing sins. See, the reason you and I commit sins, acts of rebellion, is because we have a nature that is bent on rebellion. And what Jesus does is he breaks the sleeper hold that a rebellious nature has on us so that we are now free to live a different way. And Jesus has, when he said it is finished at the cross, what he's saying is, I have broken the power of the sin nature in the heart of anybody who would believe in me and allow me to place my spirit within them. 
And I'm here to tell you, if you're here today, Jesus has broken the power of the sin nature in your life, and you are in the process of experiencing the freedom of the children of God because Jesus broke the stranglehold and the bondage that a sin nature had on your life. Now, in the midst of that, brothers and sisters, listen, in the midst of that, we still battle with things. Because what we have now experienced by Jesus breaking the power of sin, the sin nature in our life, we're still in habits of acting sinfully, right? And so each one of us, the process of what the Bible calls sanctification is literally the process of us experiencing what God has done in our lives. We're experiencing in real time God's change of position. And marriage is a great example of this. When a man and woman stand before the Lord and make a covenant of marriage, they become one flesh, right? The two shall become one flesh, right? That's what the Bible says. There's a change in position, but then anybody who's been newly married realizes that it's not like all of a sudden your wedding day, you fit together like one flesh. No, you fit together like two porcupines, right? <laughs> One out of a hundred couples, it's so easy. I was just talking to someone just today, they're newly married, and he said, man, this is hard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is, but it's good, and God's at work in the midst of it. See, because God has made them one flesh, but then over time, they're learning how to be one flesh. See, as a marriage grows, you go from a positional change, we were two, now we're one, to be like, we're growing and learning how to experience what it is to be one. In the exact same way, when we come to Jesus and we go from being condemned to being justified, God changes our position. But then as we walk with Jesus, we experience that change in position in a new and fresh way every single day. And so the beauty is if you're doing battle with habits and struggles that you have, Praise God, because you know what? People who aren't in Christ aren't really doing battle with that stuff. They just do that stuff. Maybe if it's really destructive, they think this isn't a good thing. It's proof that you're God's child when you fight the righteous fights that are in front of you. You battle with the rebellion of your own heart. You say, this thing that I do isn't what God would have me to be. And so, Lord, change me, work on me, help me, do a work in my life. So God has delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, and God has delivered each one of us from our own personal Egypt. Well, delivered us from the house of bondage. And because of that, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this does not mean that there are other gods. There's only one God, the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator and sustainer God. But what he's saying is, you notice it's God with a little g. What he, it's not like there's many gods and you can choose the Lord as your only God. What it really means is that in the human heart, we have a tendency to want to elevate things and make them God. Think about how the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. He said, look, when you eat of this tree, the reason God doesn't want you to do it is because you'll be like God. And at that moment, Adam and Eve they began to think that they were the most important thing. They were the center of things. And God knows that in the hearts of humans, we have this tendency to want to take something that is good and make it the ultimate thing, make it God. So when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, he's not saying that there's other gods. Well, it's like, I'm Yahweh, and there's this guy over here, and this dude over here, and this lady, Shiva, over here. No, there's one God. But 
God knows that we have a tendency to want to elevate other things and create gods in our own image and likeness. And so he's like, look, I have to be the first place of your life. The first command. And literally, when we break the first commandment, that's why we'll break all the other 10. And why we'd break all the other 612, because there's 613 laws. If we break the first commandment, we'll break the other ones. The reason we would steal or murder or lie or commit adultery or covet or whatever is because we're putting something that isn't the true and living God in the centerpiece of our lives. That's why we do it. And so the first commandment is the first because if we don't break the first commandment, we don't break any of the other commandments. If we always keep God in that place of primary focus, God gets the supremacy place in our hearts. This is why Jesus could say something so audacious that if you want to be my disciple, unless you hate your father, mother, wife, children, lands, then you can't be my disciple. Remember Jesus said that? Jesus is not saying you should hate your parents or you should hate your spouse or you should hate your kids. He's saying if anything is more important than me, then you are not my disciple. But then you start asking yourself, so what in my life is more important than God? And that's a terrifying question, my friends. Because what you'll find if you allow the Spirit of God to search your heart is you'll find that there's all sorts of things that we put in the place of God. We put a desire to be loved physically in the place. We put a desire to feel differently than we feel, and thus we take drugs. There's all these things. People put their jobs and the pursuit of success and wealth in the driver's seat becomes an idol, a god. There's so many things that we have a tendency to want to put in the driver's seat of our life. And thus we break the first commandment. And when we do that, every aspect of life needs to be oriented and focused on God because when we are the slightest degree off, we land in the wrong spot. I remember hearing a pilot tell me that if they set their course one degree off, by the time they get there, they'll be hundreds of miles off depending on how far they're traveling. Because one degree off, when you multiply that by time and distance, gets you way off. And the same is true for our lives. That if we are breaking the first commandment, when you start moving through life, you are definitely not going to end up where you want to. And this is why he's like, no, no, no. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who delivered you. And there should be no other God that takes my place. It is me and me alone. So I want to encourage you to be honest with the things that you struggle to put in the place of God. Because the beauty is, is that God knows what's in our hearts. This is what I love about the Lord. This is why the Lord to me is so amazing to know and to walk with is because I can't fool God. God knows everything that's in my heart. He knows things that I don't even understand about my own heart. Like, I, there's certain things that I understand, and then God's like, well, listen, you really want to understand this. Let me explain to you the motivation behind the motivation behind the motivation. It's like, really, the reason you do this is for this. But God loves us still. See, God loves you with full disclosure. He knows everything about you. It's not like when you start dating somebody, or you see somebody, you start courting them, and you get married, and there's all these things about them you didn't know. You find out later, they're skeletons in their closet, you know? God knows all the skeletons in our closet. God saw all of them with perfect, clear sight, and God loves us still. And that, my friends, that is amazing to me. God knows every, he not only knows the skeletons in my closets, he knows 
the bones on those skeletons. He knows the broken bones on those skeletons. He knew when they got there. He knew how they got there. He knew that I didn't think anybody knew that they were there. And he knows all that, and he loves us still. That's powerful. See, God has chosen you as his child, and he loves you. He's got the complete readout of your life. He knows all of it. And everything that goes on every single day, he knows and yet he loves us still. And he chose us still knowing all this stuff. And when we realize that nothing that we confess to God catches him by surprise because he knew it already, then we are free in his presence to say, God, you know that I'm this. And he'll say, I know, but I'm making you more and more like Jesus today. See, God loves to transform a life. I believe for some of you right now, the idea of confessing the things that you know is going on in your world is so terrifying because you think it's going to catch God off guard. Listen, it might catch people off guard, but it won't catch God off guard. He knows. He knew already. He knew before the foundation of the earth that right now you'd be right here. And really, he's waiting for you just to come and just say, come on, I know this about you. I chose you anyway. I want to do a work in your life. Let me carry you through this. When we realize who the Lord is, it becomes a lot easier to put him in the front seat, the driver's seat. Because you start to realize that God loves us no matter what. It doesn't mean that we go off the rails because God loves us no matter what. Because we want to respond to God's love with love. It's easy to say, I can be free and honest in his presence because Jesus died and rose again. I mean, think about what we believe as Christians. And for those of you here who don't believe in Jesus, let me tell you why we believe in Jesus. Because Jesus died on a cross to forgive us for the mistakes we've made. And we're okay saying, God knows we've made those mistakes, and we know we made those mistakes. We don't have to hide them anymore. We don't have to put a mask on anymore. We don't have to hide in shame, hoping that nobody knows, because when Jesus died, he became the punishment that I deserve for my mistakes. All the stupid stuff that I've done, that I'll ever do, Jesus became that on the cross. And so I can say, I do stupid stuff, and I can be okay saying that, not try and pretend like I don't do stupid stuff, because I already know that God knows and God loves me, and God has forgiven me, and God is changing us because of his love. That's why, see, to me, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm here to tell you you are missing out on the most amazing thing. God's gift to you is that he knows you and loves you still. And he knows you and he loves you too much to keep you that way. And he wants you just to come on in and say, okay, I'm here. You know everything. Okay, so I don't, I'm not going to fool you by all the masks that I put up, all the masks I put up on social media and in my resume and on LinkedIn. When I go to an interview, I put my best foot forward and I make myself look really good. But deep down, I really know that it's kind of all inflated stuff, right? But God knows who I really am. And I'm free to know that I don't have to be ashamed of who I've been. And I don't have to walk around thinking I'm the only busted up person. Jesus died because everyone's a busted up person. And it frees us to be able to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean you don't get anything wrong. Walking in the Spirit says, 
When you get something wrong, you own it right away because the light of the Spirit checks your heart. and You say, oh, man, I got that wrong. Sorry, Lord. You tell someone, I'm sorry, I'm such a knucklehead. They're like, mm-hmm, yeah, you are. The first commandment drives this whole thing for us. The Lord your God has delivered you, taken you from the land of bondage. And he says, look, nobody else gets that place in my heart, in your heart. Nobody else. I only made it through the first commandment. I mean, no need to rush through the second commandment, you know. We'll get there next time. But brothers and sisters, what does it look like? What does it look like for God to be in the God seat of our lives? I want you to take a moment. Just ask yourself, what would it look like if God got the throne of my life? What would it look like? How does my life change if I let God have the center place of my life? How does my life change? I'm here to tell you that if you're not living the life that you can envision, then God wants to do a work in you right now. Because one of the things that I always ask myself, I say, Lord, if I was really following hard after you, how diff- where would my life look different? And every time I find something that something would look different, then I'm like, I should be doing that other thing. Not what I'm doing. If there's a way that I can come up with that if I was really on fire for Jesus, I would be doing this thing. Then the only way to become on fire for Jesus is to start doing that thing. That's how it works. And so what does it look like for God to take that center place in your life? And you realize failure to obey this commandment is idolatry. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, we're told to flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that habitual idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5 tells us that idolatry is the work of the flesh and that it marks the old life instead of the new life. So the failure to keep this first commandment gives way to everything in our lives that we're like, Lord, I don't want that. And you don't want that for me. Let me challenge you, as we do these refreshments of the Ten Commandments, why don't you go memorize the first commandment? Memorize that scripture. Write it on an index card. Text it to yourself. Every time your alarm goes off, make Siri tell you the first commandment. You'll teach it to Siri, too. She needs it. (laughs) It says, preach the gospel to all creatures. So I don't know if Siri's a creature. But memorize the scripture. Allow the first commandment to go deep down into our bones. In your journaling time, in your, in your devotional time, write down, these are the things that vie for supremacy in my heart. These are the gods that God told me not to have any other gods before me. Jesus is There is so much more to the first of the Ten Commandments than I would have guessed. As Pastor Daniel brought us through this commandment today, he delved into the names of God and what they mean. When God says, I am the Lord your God, what the people heard was, I am God in my covenant-keeping loving kindness and justice, and I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world, and it can keep you pretty busy. 
But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel dives further into the Ten Commandments next time. We will learn that the first four commandments are dedicated to the horizontal relationship with God. When we get that straight, the other six commandments will become natural to us. All of our relationships rest on how we relate to the God of the universe. When we live in step with His Spirit, it changes the way we live in the world. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.